We're going to let them find some seats here in the center section. Oh, look at that. No chapel skips um, for the alumni choir. No. Anyway, Larry, that was great. Can we just give them a hand again? And tomorrow, tomorrow night's the big night. Big night. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. You know, Larry and I, we come from the same era of the overheads. Uh, that was our starting point. And uh, we have never abandoned the cause, uh, even up until this day. We made it through the PowerPoint transition in life. So here we go. Here we go. They get Jeff Dio's up there on the top of the choir. Beautiful, Jeff. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. We're just going to be in here just a few more moments. If everybody can just kind of find a seat real quick. And I know Monday is typically render uh, our student chapel. So that's, uh, that got canceled out today so we could just have a day of being able to honor and give our alumni choir a chance to get back in the room here and sing and come in a day early. There were so many iterations of this event. Uh, there was, first of all, in the spring of 2020, we were all headed to Italy uh, with the choir. We probably had 100 of us going plus to Italy. And COVID hit, and I was so disappointed because I've, I've always wanted to go to Italy. I still have never been to Italy. I've been all over the world, but never to Italy. My wife's been there twice. And COVID wiped out the Italy trip. Uh, the Italy trip was then going to be followed up the following spring of 2021 with Carnegie Hall in New York. And we had quite a event planned that this concert tomorrow night was going to be in New York City. And we were going to return as many in the choir and the crowd have sang at Carnegie in years past, seeing maybe a Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, Times Square Church, and we were going to have just a magnificent event in the spring of 2021. So Italy would be the last overseas trip and then the New York trip. And of course, we were in the throes of um, our world just being flipped upside down. So that got canceled. So then we thought, well, let's do New York the next year in spring of 2022. So we spent a few months recalibrating. I beg Larry, you got to stay one more year. There's no way on this planet you are leaving this institution like this, that we're not going to do this. I don't care what we got to do. You're not going out quietly in the night. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I can't think of, I don't know how many years T.J. Jones spent here. I don't know how many years Linquist was here from 30 to what, 1930 to 19. Yeah, but you beat them all. So, yeah, it's emotional for me. I've known Larry a long time and uh, from the periphery and then, of course, the last four years. But we're from the same era. He's not my father, uh, but he would be my older brother. And uh, so passages of time for all of us when we see up close and personal the transitions of people's lives, it always smacks us in the face with emotional brevity. And we really determine, are we eternity-minded or earthly-minded? And is gravity and brevity controlling my emotions, or is heaven and eternity uh, directing my every thought? But 
on the human side of things, um, this is really a massive situation. And I don't mean to tell you a funeral story at this, because this is not a funeral, but you'll get my point. Um, there was a man in our college that I went to. He taught there for about 35 years named Norm Arneson. He was the primary Bible teacher, taught the Life of Christ book of Romans, hermeneutics, homiletics. He was the cornerstone at Bethany Bible College all through the late 50s, 60s, 70s, and much of the 80s. And he was in the era of the Bible school where he probably, probably made no more than $20,000 a year as an instructor for 30 years in our great Bible schools where they all saw it as missions. And, and, but he was a world-class scholar and preachers all over the world were trained under this guy and they loved him. Uh, he never got married. He just lived in a little house, almost like a hermit. And he just studied the Bible and taught us the Bible and had no life. He like, he gave his whole life to us and very interesting character. So he find he has diabetes. He finally retired and he always wanted to go on the mission field because he was probably the, this nation's leading in Pentecostal circles, leading expert on the, on the life of Paul. And he just had a heart for missions. And so he, he, Finally retired in the late 90s from Bethany University at that time, having lived and taught through all these eras. And he had his whole next final chapter of life. He packed up everything and took it to the island of Fiji and was going to teach the Bible uh, in remote villages in Fiji uh, in that part of the world. And so he put everything in crates and he put it on a ship and he himself took a ship there. And he got there in December, I think of 98, 1998. And right after landing and getting off, and he's in this remote part of Fiji, his diabetes kicked in. And he, um, tragically, he died. And say, man, this is a real sad story. Uh, but you'll understand my point. So he has, was never married. He has no kids. He had one living sister. So no one's there to claim him. Uh, my friend, Dr. Sam Huddleston, the assistant superintendent of the NorCal Nevada district was losing his mind thinking that Norm Arneson is in a morgue in a little village on the other side of the world unclaimed. And so on Christmas day, 1998 or 1999, jumped on a plane and flew. His wife said, you got to go. And he flew, got the paperwork. And he flew all the way to Fiji nonstop got off and a little taxi took him to this village and he said he walked in and there was Norm Arneson in this makeshift morgue on the other side of the world lying there under a sheet and he did the paperwork and he claimed the body and he just wanted to be there to do the funeral and so what they did is they organized a little makeshift funeral and, and one local Fijian pastor was allowed to attend and they went out into a field and he said the field was, the weeds were about knee high and right nearby there was, there was a small jail or a prison and they were able to contract out six inmates who came all chained together with their legs, makeshift shovels and, the, and these prisoners dug the grave. And it started to rain and Sam Huddleston is there and they have Norm's body wrapped and he's going to be buried in Fiji. And there's, Sam goes, there was myself, there was this one Fijian pastor. There were six inmates in chains 
standing there and Norm Arneson's body and they put him in the grave and he said they covered him up and remember Norm Arneson was probably the world's leading scholar in our living day on the Apostle Paul and so uh, Sam began to preach on chains and all six prisoners in chains gave their heart to Jesus Christ at Norm's grave. Now here's my point. How do you quantify Norm Arneson's life on the other side of the world with six inmates and a shallow grave in a field when I will say millions of people, millions of people, multiplied through the leaders that were raised up under this man's teaching but when this earth, when it all culminated on this planet, it was down to six inmates and Sam Huddleston and one other guy, seven people standing there, uh, or eight people standing there. And so my point is this, there's no way, even if we were at Carnegie Hall, to quantify Larry Buck. Your life, it can't be told, it can't be captured. There can be no event that could explain what you have meant to, I'll say the world um, that has sung at the top of their lungs because you empowered and equipped multiple generations to lead with an anointing of the Holy Spirit. So Larry Bach, I just want to tell you even if we were at U.S. Bank Stadium, it would be small in comparison to the impact you've had in this world, and we love you in this world. I need you for another moment. Just another moment. Now, don't misinterpret. There's no shallow graves being dug for Larry Bach. <laughs> We're a long way from that. That was not my point. <laughs> um, I just want to read you a text that I think is magnificent. And I'm just going to kind of hone back in on what I'm sharing here, but I want to give you a biblical framing. And I want to thank the choir because once again, the choir saved the day. All the alumni that are here. Now I'm going to get emotional again. The last two years in this city has been brutal. Brutal. But I know this is a Monday and usually renders happening. Just 18 months ago it looked like that. And uh, now people the last year and a half have been afraid to come here. Still a lot of kids come here. We're down about 200 students, and we're going to get them all back. We have four times the amount of juniors this year who have turned in applications for 2023 than we had one year ago at this time. It's, it, it's, 
in my in my on my wall in there, I you know I I love the history. Ninety one years of this, I have this chart that shows the school from 1930 all the way to 1941. It's going like this, and then from 41 to 45, it goes like this, and then 45 it pulls out. And there's a notation by Lindquist there, and it says the war years. From 41 to 45 was the war years. And I'm not overstated when I say that Minneapolis has been through the war years 2.0, the last two years. But by God's grace, he is helping us, the spiritual life. Tomorrow, by the way, the students are here on this Monday. Martha Tennyson's here for the next two days. We're about to have... And the, any of the choir that wants to sneak into chapel tomorrow for Martha Tennyson, this place will be lit up um, in a powerful way. And um, no, they can't. They can't come tomorrow. Uh, or maybe they I, Oh, for the altar time, for the altar time. Uh, um, but um, once again, to have you back on campus, it's just these little pockets of refreshing to have our, have our uh, alumni back. And uh, this place is still, you know, people don't care. I tell presidents all over the country and pastors, people don't care what you've built. They want to know one thing. Are you still telling the truth? And I would tell you, we are a Pentecostal truth-telling. We're not, we're not less Christian. We are more Christian. We're not less Holy Ghost. We are more Holy Ghost. And that is what's pulling this great school through. And, uh, but it's just great to have the choir, the cavalry, come and sing like it did today. And I just want to thank the alumni for the expense, you know, getting here, being here, back on campus. We even turned on the snow machine last night for you a little bit. <laughs> Because I said last week, I'm completely over this uh, like a month ago. It's been brutally cold. And I, I, I actually preached at Stone Creek Church in Chicago uh, with uh, Gary Grogan's old church, Ricky Spindler, all these great alumni. I was there Sunday, and I got in late, late last night, and it was snowing. And I said, seriously, Lord? And I got here to Elliott um, uh, late last night, right when you guys were done. And it looked kind of like a movie scene. I said, okay, you're doing this for the alumni so they can just get that feel. <laughs> That little snow globe thing going on. We shook the snow globe one last time for you alumni. So, but um, that's all you're going to get because we're it's there's no snow today and we're going to make it as clean as possible. So here we go. Uh, we've got we've got about five minutes here. We're we're done. Um, matter of fact, if there's a piano player nearby who wants to come, anybody? Larry, you want to come? Larry, you want to come play some piano? While I... You can just play while I read this text. Joshua chapter 4. The first part you're totally familiar with. Um, You'll probably jump ahead because you know the passage well. And it says in Joshua chapter 4 that Joshua called the 12 men whom he had prepared from the children of Israel out of every tribe of men. And Joshua said to them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and every one of you, Take up a stone on your shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, so that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time, uh, saying, what do these stones mean? Uh, Then you shall answer them, the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be 
for a memorial upon the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did as Joshua commanded, and they took 12 stones out of the Jordan uh, as the Lord commanded, according to the tribes, and they carried them with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And there's no doubt that whenever God does something significant in our life, historical, memorable, you remind yourself of it in the privacy of your own thoughts. Your mind drifts to the significant memories of life. It, this room, uh, you carried a stone out of here and you've taken it with you and you've placed it at your lodging place somewhere around this nation or world. You, you carried like the tribes of Israel, something from this place that is with you for the rest of your life that you talk about. But that's where people typically stop. It says, then Joshua took 12 more stones in the midst of the Jordan and he put them in the place in the midst of the Jordan where the feet of the priests which bore the ark of the covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. You never hear sermons on the other 12 stones. You only hear the sermon on the story of the 12 stones that went to Gilgal where they set up the memorial. What about these other 12 stones? It's kind of odd. They would take 12 stones and they would put them in the middle of the river where the feet of the priest had stood. And at this point, the waters had, were still congealed. And there was the space and the spot where the priest had stood for days. And they estimate that the crossing of the Jordan took several days, friends. It wasn't in a moment's time to get a few million people across that space. Scholars have played with the math. And some say it took as much as 28 days, others as little as five days. But those priests stood there, unmoved with the ark. And as long as they stood in that spot... There was dry ground. And so now they've passed through. The waters are going to cover the spot. Everybody's moving on. And it's tough when everybody moves on. Because time and season, it's like when I do memorial services. I hate bringing a significant funeral of any size to a close. Because the moment we leave that room, the person is like not there anymore. And that's the nature of this life. We move on. We graduate. We dissipate to different places in the world. And we hopefully don't disconnect. You kept your 10 to 20 really close colleagues and students in your circle for you do life with them. I do life with those I went to Bethany with. Small circle, been with me for the whole journey. But people move on. The water starts to flow again. And people have their back toward that space. Why would the Lord tell Joshua to put 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan River in the spot where the priest once stood? Now, I can't prove this. Scholars give different interpretations of this. But here's what I tend to believe. Is that the Lord said, I'm going to mark the spot where the leaders, the priests stood in such a way, faithfully they stood in such a way that it created dry ground 
So a generation could pass from point A to point B. And when the waters cover this spot and the calendar shifts and the days move on and people forget, the Lord is saying, I will never forget because I've marked the spot where they stood in such a way that a generation could get from this side to that side. And I would say, Larry, that's your testimony. 41 years, you've stood in such a way. You've created dry ground for a generation to get from this side to that side. And when the waters cover the spot and names fade and memories fade and generations rise and people naturally move on, the Lord has marked the spot where you stood in such a way that a generation could get from point A to point B. Don't ever forget the second 12 stones. We always want to live our life in such a way that we help a generation get from this spot to that spot. And that's what you are doing. Could we stand across this place? Thank you, Jesus. Is that mic hot? Is that still working? Larry, we got two minutes, three minutes. Um, make it up. Just sing us out of this place. You know, this whole idea of starting verse 5 and going 